Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Tennis Fans Podcast. This is Tuck, and this is Tree. Uh, today, we have our very first guest on the podcast, uh, our friend Chris. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Tree. Glad to be here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, today, uh, since we have Chris on the show, um, we figure it's another very good uh, tennis story to add to our channel. A very interesting one indeed. So, yeah, Chris, uh, can you give our audience a little bit of background about yourself, how you started tennis, your career, so on and so forth? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, first of all, thanks, Tree and Tuck, uh, just for having me. It's, a, it's an honor to be here, just to share just to share my story with everyone. Um, but yeah, so my name's Chris Chan. Uh, I've been playing tennis basically ever since I came out of my mother's womb. Um, <laughs> Yeah, basically, like, I started when I was around, you know, five years old. Six yeah. months. Um, yeah. <laughs> Ever since I knew how to walk. Uh, <laughs> yeah, actually, first I started playing badminton, and then... Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh. oh. And then I transitioned over to playing tennis. Um, didn't really get a full-time coach until maybe, like, six years old or so. Um, and then from there, yeah, just uh, was just kind of fooling around playing with my parents until maybe 10 years old or so. Um, and then from there, I actually kind of got serious. My parents um, got me maybe one or two coaches and uh, actually had like steady practice partners that I played with um, throughout the week. And then from there, starting at 10 years old, um, like I started playing in the junior tournaments. Um, so, yeah. So, actually, I was a lot better of like a tennis player uh, comparatively yeah. uh, when I was in like maybe my 12s, my tens and twelves yeah um yeah i was kind of like like a almost like a counter puncher kind of play style um so that that kind of play style uh it's very effective like in in the junior in the juniors like when you're younger right like in the tens and twelves and uh but then like as you move up in the 14s you know like kids start growing hair on their legs (laughs) (laughs) start getting getting stronger like getting those growth spurts and then it's a lot harder to kind of play that like counter puncher play style but when when i when i started uh playing tennis with you that's when i was uh just finishing high school so when i was 18 i think maybe you were 17 at the time you still have that like counter uh counter puncher play style or did you like develop weapons as well because i remember you hit it with a lot of like spin and stuff like that yeah Yeah, it was a lot of spin so um so yeah like tree uh, I'm sure you know, you remember, like, yeah. my forehands used to be just be super, like, loopy, top yeah, spin. top spin, um, top spin. Yeah, I didn't really have too many weapons, just, I guess my main weapon was my speed and consistency. Yeah. Like, almost like a, like a Michael Chang back in the day. Yeah, and, um, and the one thing I want, I always want to ask you, because just because me and Tup, like, we, we picked up tennis so late, um, during our life, <laughs> You know, I start, I didn't start playing until I was like 15 years old. Yeah. And he started playing when he was 10. But by then you already, when you were 10, you said you already played tennis for like when you were like for four years already, right? Yeah. So like, what what was that development like when you start playing in a junior? Because like I said, we didn't play competitive tennis at all, but it sounded like you start playing tournaments and everything like that. Like, how how did that uh, kind of like the, the mentalities aspect of it as well as like the training aspect of it? Like, how did you able to um, just kind of talked about like how you you play against other people how you develop the game plan you say like you, your defensive style mm-hmm. was it a lot of pressure on you as like as a junior 
and 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 what was that like yeah yeah so i mean i remember i remember my very first tournament uh actually it was a long time ago but uh so i was obviously like unseated going to the tournament yeah and you know my parents signed me up for it and everything and then so there were these there were these two players i think they were like the first and first and second seed and then everyone was like oh yeah these guys they're they're going to be the ones that they're going to you know make it to the finals like no one else no one else could beat them or anything yeah um and then i was like yeah i'll i'll give it my best shot like i can probably i can probably hang with them yeah and then i remember just getting owned by like the second seed um so that was yeah that was probably that was probably in like maybe the quarterfinals or so yeah but um but yeah i i think yeah but then as over time you start like to build it and then you become better and you know how to deal with like tournament pressure and stuff like Yeah. Um yeah, I mean, I think the first tournament was definitely the toughest. Like yeah. I I hadn't built up that kind of like match mentality yet, right? Yeah. Um but then you kind of you obviously develop that over time. You kind of uh learn how to deal with the nerves and yeah, I think it's just it's just basically mileage. Like yeah. the more the more matches you play, the the more used to. Do you feel like you had to make a lot of changes to like the way you played or do you just feel like it's just more of like um your mentality that kind of just changed over time yeah. rather than like you know physically changing like your uh your your style of play or something like that yeah yeah i'd say it's more it's more like a mentality thing so um yeah obviously the more matches you play like the more accustomed to it you get yeah um yeah there's no there's no really there's no real way around it i feel like it's yeah. just it's just, just because you brought up a very interesting aspect of it is like you can get away back in the junior day with like playing defensive and like counter puncher. So like that, that's what I, I, I meant to ask is like, how did you grow into that counter puncher game? Is all counter is all junior kit is counter puncher or is that something that molded you into like the player that you were? You see what I mean? Cause like yeah. one kid grow out of it and all of a sudden they become a junior and they're one of the like, you know, Keegan Smith. Yeah. Yeah. So like he, he was a junior at some point in his career he, mm-hmm. and then he grow and then he become like a, serve an attacking style of play or something right was what during your junior day was it all like counter just trying to like out rally each other yeah so i think it's kind of like two factors for me like for one of the factors um like when you're when you're in that age division like 10s and 12s even for like the junior open players right like the best strategy is just to get the ball in like when you're when you're that young um because there's there, there were kids that um i remember I would beat them in like the 10s and 12s just by getting it in and they would be kind of like swinging like super hard uh but they would be going for their shots uh but they'd just be missing more than i i would miss so that's why I would basically be- what you're saying was like kind of like the younger they are it's just more like they're at, at that point like they're just developing their strokes and all that stuff and it's just like you, you're trying to get like one more ball in or something like that yeah pretty much yeah um but then yeah i remember playing like the same kids maybe in like the 14s or 16s And then by then, yeah, it'd be tough. It'd be tough for me to like kind of keep up because I would still be playing that consistency game, but they wouldn't be kind of like running me off the court. Um, and then like the second factor, um, I think is probably with coaching. So I remember one of my, I think probably the most influential coach that I had growing up, like who kind of molded my play style. Um, he kind of taught me to have the super, that super loopy ball that we talked about. It's Guy Fritz. 
No, it's not. Oh, we'll get to the Gagrin's party. Okay. Oh, who's it? Sorry. It's not Gagrin. Yeah, this coach would... So he started off teaching me with like almost having like a close to Western, a uh, Western grit. And then um, he would teach me to kind of like almost lean back. Like, oh, like, not good. As if you remember back then, uh, uh, even even when we first started playing, like in the eight, when I was 18 or so, they had always be on my back foot. It seemed yeah, yeah, yeah. Just spitting, hitting super high loopy balls. And I remember, yeah, most of the, the picture that you have, um, I and mean, when you were a junior, you can kind of see it too, like leaning yeah. back and like try to put a lot of spit in the ball. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because like when I was, uh, when I was just starting to play tennis, every single time I hit the ball, like way over the fence or like a little high, my coach is always like, you know why you always like the balls go high like that is because you always lean back, don't lean back. But that's something that was kind of like instilled to you by your coach yeah. to kind of like develop that game style. Interesting. Yeah. I've always kind of. I remember always kind of like leaning back in order to yeah. even hit like a neutral shot. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. But yeah, so yeah, even in like the 10s and 12s. So like I said, that was probably my peak. I was probably ranked maybe top 20 in SoCal. Oh, wow. Um, In the 10s and 12s. Yeah, 10s and, 12s. and then like I remember in like the 12s and maybe 14s, I got invited to what's called zonals. So that's when they pick like the top maybe five or six uh, kids in that age division. And then you play different other zones, like there's SoCal, North Cal, and then, you know, different states as well. You all meet up in this one area and you, it's kind of like team tennis, right? Like in high oh, school, interesting. just play, play each other. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so as I grew older in like the 16s and 18s, my ranking kind of dropped. Like I was still probably like maybe top 100. And, um, and was that because like your competitor or like other junior kid, like you mentioned, they just got bigger and they have they developed some sort like a little bit of a weapon is that why yeah okay. reason. oh wow okay like once you once you get to that level and that age like just getting it in you know it'll only get you so far but you have to develop like bigger bigger and bigger weapons. so so would you would you change if you had a chance like would you uh if you had to go back then and kind of like do it differently would you would you have done so yeah oh okay. i think so yeah, for sure. Um, and what, what would be sort of like, so if, let's say like if you were to choose, like what would be the ideal sort of style you would think you'd want to go for if you were, if you were given the chance to kind of go back in time? Yeah, probably say like an all around player. Cause I remember, I remember growing up, like I never had any volleys or like any that much feel. Well, my feel was okay, but I had no net game at all. Like mm -hmm. I remember I'd, I would hate playing doubles. I would hate coming into the net because, like, I knew my volleys weren't up to the level of, like, my ground strokes. I think that's kind of a common problem that juniors run into today. Especially, I think, like, especially for me, like, I'm kind of, like, start, like, I started fresh again, like, in two years ago. Like, we, we kind of mentioned that. And, like, even, like, right now, like, I'm not super comfortable, like, moving to the net at all. Like, I, I, that's just not part of, like, something that I'm super comfortable with. And I think, like, that's... That's not like a common thing for people to kind of just like, you know, for, go and practice in their net game, you know? So it's just like, I, I think that's pretty common for people to just not be comfortable with it. Yeah. I definitely think it's one of like the, the last things that, um, like a player develops, uh, like on their track to becoming like an, a well-rounded player. 
I mean, I guess for like the larger audience out there would like either like young junior or parents who have kids who are young junior, something to keep in mind, right? Like, uh, you want to develop all the shot for your kid just because, just because you as a junior or your kid who's a junior who's really good, who's now uh, a puncher, uh, and getting result at that point in time doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate. So coming from you, I mean, like you would have done it differently, focusing on doing this, this, this stuff, developing more of a weapon as you transition to like, you, uh, like you're 16, under 16 and under 18. Yeah. I think it's important to kind of think about like the big picture, like also having a coach that, um, you know, thinks about like the future progression who will work with you to like kind of plan out, plan out that kind of progression, yeah. um, is very important. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause you definitely need to develop weapons like forehand, uh, serve yeah. in order to really get to the top levels. Um, yeah. And then also another thing I would definitely work on is my serve more, yeah. you know, going out to serve just baskets by yourself is pretty boring to be honest. Let's I'm sure it. most people would agree. Yeah. Um, but honestly, honestly, it's like one of the most important things you can do. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. I think the majority of people out there agree too. Cause like when you play tennis, right, you're looking forward to like rallying back and forth the field, hitting the ball, but like who would want to go out there and just serve basket. But those are like, I would think those are like the very basic foundation that anyone would need in order to develop like a good serve or any, anything in your game. There's one thing I want to talk about in terms of Chris is like your experience with Guy Fritz. So you want to tell us about the story about you and Guy Fritz and okay. who is this man as the father of, who is his offspring? <laughs> so yeah, um, I started working with Guy Fritz probably when I was 16 or 17 years old. So pretty oh, late. 16, oh, 16, yeah. 17. Okay. It's pretty late in my tennis career. Um, yeah, back then, I remember just going to his house. So and you were one of his protégé. Uh, <laughs> the next... I was one of his students. That's all I can say. <laughs> how many people, like how many students did he have? Or like, was it... I think he had, he had plenty of students. Uh, I'm not said, right? No, no, I'm not getting <laughs> It's always pride loss. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't get to meet all the students, but I feel like every time, every time I went there, he'd always have someone for me to hit with. Oh, like that was my level or like a little better than, um, but yeah, so I started probably around 16 or 17, went to his house, um, went to Rancho Santa Fe at the time. I think he's still there now. Then, um, yeah, it's like a huge house. He's got a tennis court in his backyard. And I remember just this little kid. And this little ten-year-old kid, um, and he's like, "This is my son, Taylor." Oh God, Taylor, <laughs> Taylor Fritz. Yeah, Taylor Fritz. And I, what rank is he right now? Taylor. Uh, so Paul was. He was. Yeah, he was top ten. I think he may be out of it now, just because he just lost in. Uh, he lost in Indian Wells. Oh God. Yeah, he was top five. At one point. Wow. Damn, yeah. Chris. Yeah. He, wow. he lost in Indian Wells, so he 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 dropped some points, but. But yeah, so I was I was probably around seventeen at the time, and Taylor was maybe, maybe eleven, or or ten or so, and he was seeding him. Well, no, we're I think we were probably around even at that time, and I was a good you know like seven seven eight years older than him, so yeah, that's that's just how how good he was. All jokes aside, like that shows like how good Taylor Fritz is, right? 
like yeah. as an 11 to be able to hang with like a 17 year old that's pretty that's pretty crazy like what what was so different like about him because i mean i feel like when i was 15 and i play against my brother who was 10 right and then as we grow towards like i would be 17 and he would be 12 there's a difference <laughs> but then you were 17 he was 11 yeah what was it like like he was able to handle your pace yeah, he was. Um, honestly, it just felt like I was just playing another, like, 17-year-old, like, across the Because, I mean, he's a he's a big guy. Like, even back then, when he was 10 or 11, he was already maybe, like, 5, I don't know, I want to say, like, 5'7", or something like that. Oh, geez. Would get, you know, older and bigger players to hit with him as well. But, yeah, helps to have a tennis court in your backyard. Um, I think, like, the like, getting down to the business, I think the very big topic that we want to chat with you today is about your recent journey to rediscover your forehand. So I'll, I'll, it's your story. I'll let you, I'll let you start. So I'll say, I want to say around maybe like five or six years ago, um, my forehand just started on like a steady decline, just going down. And right now it's probably like at its bottom, at its worst, at its worst point. Um, so yeah, I'm probably around five years ago, uh, like I was just hitting at, you know, the Miramar tennis courts that I always used to play out. And then, um, I'm not at it still to this day. Like, I still don't know how it began. Uh, but I remember back then there were a few forehands that I hit where I was just basically coming over the ball and then it was just go straight into the net, but it wouldn't happen like every time. Um, and then, but now like today, it's gone to the point where like almost all my forehands are like that, and yeah, like I still, I still can't, I still don't know the root cause. It might just be, um, you know, from not playing as much. Like back in the juniors, I used to play almost every day, yeah. and then, uh, you know, like after I graduated college, I just kind of stopped maybe playing like one every, twice a week. Yeah, once. A week. And it was just maybe playing doubles, not really. Not really practicing my strokes at all. Um, well, I mean, I would like to apologize on behalf of uh, um, everyone that played with you on the tennis court. Um, yeah. I mean, I only started again recently, but I think uh, part of the reason maybe you lost your forehand is because you had to play down to uh, our level. Yeah, I think like, <laughs> I mean, the, no, it's true. Like, I mean, the the biggest lesson for everybody out there is like, if you're a good player, don't play with worse players. I'm sorry. No, it's, you should cut it. Uh, but uh, you you kind of laugh about it, but it's kind of true in a sense, right? Like, but I mean, I I, I don't want to get away from the facts. I don't I don't want to sugarcoat it or like saying the incorrect thing, but I think it's true, and I would be willing to admit that. I was one of those people that caused your forehand to decline because <laughs> I was not so good back then. And, and it's okay, right? Like, because, uh, when you were, we, we talk about this sometimes when we would like play tennis together, you had an option of like, oh, you went to either you were going to go play for the team at the university or you weren't, but I think you picked a route of that you weren't going to do it. So you, you were going to, you still going to play tennis, but more recreationally, um, so, so, yeah, I mean, like, 
maybe go off topic a lot, but like, was was it because you just kind of like burned out, Chris, or like was it just like you don't you, you don't really want to play more like competitive tennis? Yeah, I think for that, yeah. So basically, I I feel like I'm, I was kind of burnt out at the time. Yeah, like one from just playing tournaments and you know practicing almost every day from when I was ten to eighteen, um, and then yeah, another another factor was just to kind of focus on school. Yeah, um, but yeah, I I just didn't really want to play like competitively anymore. Yeah. So 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 when you when you took that route, I mean, like, obviously there are the player that you hit with, but the primary group that you hit with was like me, Long, I think primarily me first, and then we started going to the community college near our our, our area, and then we start playing more. And I think you were starting out, you were the best player at that at that school, like at that campus where it was like a community, but you were one of, the, I wouldn't say one of, but like one the best player there. And then every single week, really like you went from an individual that would train every single day, having coaches play tournament, to really just playing recreationally. I think Max like three times a week there, it is. or sometimes even one time. And when we go out there, we don't really, again, like going back to the, it's kind of connecting to what we talked about earlier, training the specific, yeah. you kind of get away from that. And you were just playing more for fun. And to a point where we just like playing just to try to win, to beat each other and like, I think we were not at your level, so most of the time you were just trying to like slowing the ball down, moonballing it because you would know eventually we would miss those kind of thing. And I think over time it kind of takes an effect. That's that's my prediction. I don't know how you feel. About that. So I mean, like I was gonna go off of that actually, because like I, I was thinking, I, I'm you know obviously I haven't I didn't play with you guys for like before that, but I was just thinking like, um, you know, like right now when we're trying to change up the way that we train, right? What we were talking about recently, like have have some sort of objective, like we need to be able to kind of hit cross court, blah blah. blah. But then, like before that, you know, we we would just kind of play for fun, and this most of the time I would say like we hit down the middle, right? And then so like what happens, I what happened I think was that with Chris, like you know, um, before when we just keep hitting down the middle, like Chris would kind of just you know, yeah, it it was just, it wouldn't benefit him. Yeah, and so he would just kind of like be in the middle and then just um, eventually just kind of feel like stationary. There, there, there's a variety factor that yeah. Chris no wanted a factor and I'll let him speak to it. Yeah. But that was the big thing because he was so good that he would, like his anticipation skill was better than a majority of us. He knew where the ball was going to go. So he was, he was not going to, he, he was able to do it. So that's when like, I think the footwork and then like the techniques, you kind of like massaging it a little bit more. But I think... Another big one is like nobody would hit you. <laughs> yeah, I think honestly one of the big things, um, I will say like I remember being pretty cocky at the time. <laughs> uh, and like I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually hit my forehand a lot of the time. I would just kind of slice the ball in. Yeah, just like just be playing, playing around, you know, drop shotting, lobbing, uh, just running people around. Honestly, yeah. um, yeah, but. I think that was that was a big thing like if you don't if you don't use it you lose it apparently it's kind of weird though that you know you would think growing up playing so much from you know five to 18 that that muscle memory would be ingrained in you and you wouldn't be able to lose it right but i mean apparently it's not going to happen to everyone but it can happen um if you you know if you stop like training every day um 
and then just like fool around on the tennis court, then you know you can lose you can lose that muscle. Can you kind of tell the audience specifically, like technically, like what have gone wrong, Chris? Like what do you think have gone wrong in terms of like the the stroke itself? Yeah. So honestly, like even today, I don't I don't even know like what's going on really. <laughs> It's just such a mystery to me. Um, so now I'm kind of thinking that because looking back on kind of like a recent video or a video from maybe like five or six years ago, back back when my forehand was at least decent, right? Like I still kind of had like kind of a weird hitch to it. A hitch. Yeah. So that's so that's kind of. I'll let me let me try and explain like the core of the problem. So when I hit my forehand, it's um. There's like a weird hitch right before I hit the ball. So the best way I can explain it is, so if you if you try and hit a forehand right now, um, during the take back, right, like you'll see that your wrist is completely relaxed, right? Yep. And then after contact, it's still relaxed. And then at some point, your wrist will activate when you flip it over, <laughs> right? Yep. Yep. So, um. The problem that I'm having is that activation part. I'm doing it even before I make contact with the ball, so it's not relaxed at all. So, like I activate it and it pronates like this. So it pronates, and then I'm making contact with the ball with the racket face down, down off the. And, and it is like, yeah, it's an automatic like muscle memory kind of thing. Um, yeah, I even. Yeah, I got so desperate that you know I posted to the tennis forum just to try and give and you know any help mm -hmm. that I can with like videos of me hitting it, and also right. also on there I explain like after so in the beginning of the hitting session, like any hitting session, it's it's decent, like I'm somewhat relaxed, but then as the hitting session goes on, um, I start pronating more and more. Is it because it's, you tense up, or is it? Yeah, I think it's because I get more, more and more tense during the hitting session, and then it gets so bad to the point where, like, at the end of the hitting session, I can't even bounce the ball properly. Like, I'll be bouncing the ball with my hand pronated like this, and the racket face will be kind of like this. Yeah. So, and a lot of the comments, would you say, was helpful, and some of them was. <laughs> Quite kind. They're, they're pretty brutal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing short of which doctor is needed. <laughs> yeah, I think I think a lot of the comments were trying to be helpful at least. Like there were one or two, you know, troll comments. I think I think most people on there are are pretty good. They they try and try and help at least. Yeah. Um, and and what uh, what have you done specifically? Like, did you create like a list of things that you need to do to like try to fix it or? Yeah, so I created basically a Google Doc, like spanning. I started it in like 2021, yeah. and just kept adding, just kept adding to the list of things that I would try. Um, so, some of the things I've tried, like I guess, one of the things that came to my mind is that it's not actually like a, um, or it's more of like like a muscle problem, like a flexibility kind of thing, right? So, like in my mind, it was. Like because my forearm isn't flexible enough, so that's why it's kind of testing up. So one of the things I tried was just using my massage gun like every night, and just you know, going to town on it. 
Um, and then also just stretching it, stretching it like this, like on the floor like that. Um, just trying to get it as flexible as I can, but I don't think it's a flexibility issue. I, yeah, I've tried, I, I feel like I've tried everything under the moon. Um, right now, the thing that I'm trying is just getting reps in just repetition. Um, so I just go to the wall about an hour a day and I'm just, just trying to, just trying to find it back. Yeah. Searching for like something deep within that was there and then you're just trying to rediscover that old technique or was it something that you have always done since you were a junior yeah so so that's the thing right like i feel like growing up my forehand was like super whippy as you probably remember yeah i remember um and i i can't really remember how i used to hit it it was it was probably like a really niche way to hit it like not like no coach would probably try and, to teach it. And and, and I want to make sure, like, I state this. is like your forehand, because I play you before all this happened. I want to make sure everybody knows is that, and and, and I think you you start playing back, so you haven't seen, like, the real Chris forehand. It was actually very good. No, I mean, like, yeah, I've, I've, had, this, I've had glimpses of it. <laughs> what is your kind of current goal with the forehand, right? Because, like, it's like, are you trying to... um find a way back to your old forehand or are you trying to just like basically um basically just read the with the forehand in general like just try a, a completely different route and and oh so so either finding your old forehand or start something new is what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to yeah. ask yeah that's a good question um right now honestly i'm just trying to get rid of the hitch because okay. um yeah because if you if you've seen me hit recently it's just when I when I try to make contact, it's just it's just like a uh, I just pronate so much that I can't even get the ball over the net yeah. sometimes. Um, but I think recently with with the wall, I think it's actually it's actually helping just getting those repetitions in. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if I mean, it, it, it's kind of hard, right? Because we we actually kind of talked about this in the first few episodes. I remember we we. We want to help Chris, but everybody's built from baby. Yeah. We talk about this. Like people, tennis, everybody can teach you, okay, this is how you should hit a forehand. But at the end of the day, like people are different. You know, people left eye dominant, right eye dominant, and all those kind of stuff. So you you just have to like, okay, obviously you're working hard to find it back, but everybody's different. Yeah. Another thing I will say is like growing up, like I never really thought about you know, the strokes, like the forehand. Yeah, it's kind of like, different. honestly, since I started tennis so young, like I never really thought about what grip I used. Like I, I didn't even know what grip I used, um, back then until like, I actually thought about it. And now that's interesting. Cause it's just especially when you start so young, it's just muscle memory. Right. Like, and I think that's like the really tough part because like you, you've kind of like ingrained it within yourself as, as opposed to like, you know, some, somebody like they're kind of starting fresh and like they, you, 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 you're kind of just like trying out all these different things. So like, it, it's like tough to kind of make that change from like what you're kind of just completely like just your body is used to like how, how it fits with your body up. Yeah. I, w I want to go off of what you Chris said. I think it's, it's a very good point comparing Chris situation to your situation because he actually started playing seriously again within the last two years. Do you remember? Yeah. And then, and since then, I think Tuk is very aware 
of like the type of group because he actually went on internet looking at it, those kind of things. He actually learned about it. He's aware of it. Whereas in your situation, I think you start learning tennis young. Mm-hmm. And back then, you know, like you're a kid, you're not like usually even myself as a kid, I don't really have, I don't pay attention to those kind of thinking things. About. Thinking about it's just so natural. Yeah. So now I'm like trying to like rediscover like, wow, when I was like 12 years old, when yeah. kind of grip was a hit. Right. You know, like yeah. as as I think that is a different situation. That's why I'm saying like different situation, different people, different body. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right now I'm just trying to rediscover like, so I do remember back then I probably used like almost a semi-Western to like a hybrid grip, like between semi-Western and Western. Yeah. Um, just cause that's kind of what like feels right. But the thing is, I, I really wish I took, you know, more videos back in the day to yeah. look back on and see like, oh, that's how I used to hit my forehand. Yeah. Then, yeah. I think that's like the fortunate part of like right now. This is like everything's like so accessible. Yeah. That's true. We we, yeah. we we literally go out there and we like record so much of ourselves. Like not just, just like not just to like post yeah. or whatever, but it's, it's like to really analyze our yeah, the tech technology you know, like you see like kids going to Miramar or like you know, Alex Pramud, like whenever they go and they like practice, they all have like a iPad recording or and analyzing everything to a T. But I think yeah, like the answer is we don't know because I mean, like if anybody of our audience know that can help Chris out, feel free to comment. You know, anybody who's you know very good technically, a witch doctor, <laughs> 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 or you know, yeah, Carlos, Carlos, yeah, Carlos, Carlos, please, please help our friend. Please, Harry, easily, he easily has one of like the the best forehand right now on the tour. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, story for the audience, like. I think it was three or... <laughs> I know exactly yeah. where you're going with this. <laughs> I know exactly where you're going with this. Three or four years back, I was at Indian Wells. Oh! And this was, this was when, before before Carlos, anyone knew who Carlos Alcaraz was. I think he was probably maybe 17 at the time. And he was, I think he was just training, he was just training with his with his coach, Juan Carlos Ferrero there. Yes. And um, I asked Juan Carlos Ferrero for a picture. And not Alcaraz. Julie's <laughs> number yeah. one in the world right now. If you're watching this, Carl, I'm sorry, but please help me with my forehand. <laughs> that, was <laughs> no, no, that, that was funny because, because I think that was a perfect time because Juan Carlos, you know Juan Carlos because Juan Carlos was number one in the world, but then he already retired like for like six years or something. Mm-hmm. By that time, also like you ran into him in a perfect situation where. You recognize him where not a lot of people know who he is. Yeah. So you would recognize him, but the unfortunate part is like you don't know. You recognize the fact that he has a future number one that he was training. His forehand, I would say Juan Carlos is a complete player. Like you know when you play uh, virtual tennis or topspin, yeah. and there's like the bars, hands, yeah, the bars, and then like <laughs> the, the name would be Pick Server, uh, or yeah, fa- fantastic volleyer, yeah, like. Juan Carlos and Roger, usually they would say they're like all rounder, but they call him Juan Carlos, the mosquito, the mosquito, because he would like, just be like a fly that just wouldn't get off of you because he was like, he would get everything back and try to like beat you. Yeah. The mosquito. For his speed, his speed being one of the, like, yeah. his main, his strong season. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that really transferred pretty well into his, his, uh, you, you can, you can see a little bit of a glimpse in Carlos Alvarez 
uh, uh, from, uh, you can see a little bit of a glimpse of Juan Carlos in Carlos Alcaraz. Because the one thing Alcaraz has over Juan Carlos is he has the physique, he has the power, but Juan Carlos grinds for every ball. And that's what Alcaraz is doing. So like that, that alone in combination is like a perfect, perfect combination. He has the weapon and he's also is being able to grind everything down. So yeah, that's why he's, he's very good. Yeah. Yeah. So Juan Carlos, please. <laughs> oh, I mean, he, my friend, he chose you to take a picture with, you know, over, Juan, uh, over Alvarez. So, I mean, yeah, hopefully Juan Carlos listens in on this and helps, uh, Chris out. I actually think what we would hope best to come out of this episode is that Juan Carlos sees this and he would reach out to Chris or ask personally and ask Chris to be Carlos Alcaraz hitting partner every single tournament <laughs> until Chris get his forehand back. Well, then, but then we're going back to the idea of, yeah, I think what well, is like, like Carlos has to play down. Oh, and then what is this? What do you mean? What Give me a little too much credit. Carlos has to play down and eventually he's going to have that hitch. A hitch. Yeah. It's like a virus. It's going to transfer over to Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But I mean, I guess that, uh, maybe just to kind of keep it a little bit shorter is like for me to transition to the, um, the question that, uh, what do you think, like, who do you think on the tour? Yeah. No, from back then and now, um, and it's like the best war. Yeah. So like, yeah, if I, I say Chris, because you don't have a forehand, anymore, I think we can also comfortably say that, uh, if you can steal one person's forehand from, you know, you can choose any, anyone who would you take your for, the forehand from and bleh, and bring it to you. And you only have one choice. Just one? Yes. And you only have one go. <laughs> no take back and no take back. I want to say Del Potro. Ooh. Ooh. A hammer. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely got that power. Um, Unbelievable, yeah. But honestly, honestly, I'm gonna go with Federer. <laughs> I just said no take back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, so Chris is gonna be. I want to say. Oh, remember it. All right, fine. I'll stick with Del Potro. Yeah, Del Potro. Yeah, that's, a that's a good choice. I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess. It, yeah, Del Potro. He's had a very interesting forehand. Yeah, Del Potro. It's a, you would, you would yeah. call it conventional. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. He almost has like a, he has that like straight, yeah. like a straight arm. Yeah, sure. Well, I, I think what's interesting is that like, um, what, what kind of like differentiates like a lot of players, like they're, they're all next sort of unique style. And I think with the Bojo is like, he, he, it's almost like a, yeah, it's almost like a loop. A loop. Yeah. So you should, so that a whole lot of like just gravity. Yeah. And, and, and with his name, his body is a perfect yeah. build for it. If there's one, uh, one analysis on YouTube that I think is like very good to talk about, like the Potro forehand, uh, it's my tennis HQ. There's one episode where Carousel specifically talk about the Potro forehand and how he tried to, it's very good. Oh, you should... shout out to, uh, Caruso. Yeah. It's, it's a very good episode. Yeah. You I mean, I imagine. Yeah. yeah. But like he, he did a very good analysis of like the Potro forehand. I think, yeah, it's a, it's a very good choice, Chris. Yeah, but honestly, like without Del Potro's body, like I don't know how effective this for him. No, that's, that's why that's why I'm saying is like, but again, right? I think it's so true that 
you develop your technique based on your body type. Yeah. Right? Like, mm-hmm. the reason why Sinner is so good is because of his technique and his very sparring. He's very lengthy and kind of like nimble that he's able to chase down everything. Like myself, I try to learn like Yanni Sinner's technique. I wouldn't be good because I don't have the same body type. So it's like, it's all to that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a good choice in a portrait for him. What about you? <laughs> you first. You first. Rock, paper, scissors. All right. Whoever wins, go first. No, that's how it works. You just go. Diego Schwartzman. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's an interesting one. Yeah. I would, I would like to have Diego Schwartzman forehand. I think it's a very solid forehand. And I think because I'm pretty much close to the same height that he is, I think it's a very, it's a very effective shot. Um, very consistent. And he, he's, he has a low sense of gravity. And he's developing his technique to accommodate for that. Yeah. So I would I would say I would say for um a lot of the folks out there who's like around my height, like five seven, five nine, five eight, and like take a look at Diego Schwartzman for him. Like it's it's pretty good. Like it's very it's very solid. It's dependable. It's dependable. Um he's not uh it's not like a weapon. He's not a weapon, but for me I'm looking for solid. And I would say, yeah, Diego Schwartzman. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I I like him as a player too. You know, like even though he's going through a little bit of like a slump right now because he had some good years uh, before, but I think he's a very solid player. He's always have like a fighting spirit, and that's what I'm trying to develop my game to right now. But to have that solid, so I would say, you know, you know, yeah, that's a good choice. Yeah, yeah, he's a good. Player. He's definitely got that like big loop. Yeah, big loop. very very steady, consistent yeah. forehand. Um. Don't don't quote me on this because I read a lot about this in talk tennis. I've heard that he used a twenty-eight inch racket. You know the standard tennis racket is twenty-seven. His racket is twenty-eight. Extended ring. Yeah. I don't know what my choice is gonna be kinda tough. Kinda stuck between Alcaraz and Center. Um But if I had to just choose between the two, maybe a little bit biased, but center. Just because of like how much like whip he has on that forehand. I mean, if you saw like the recent match with like Taylor Fritz, um, I think like there's four different like, points where like it was above like 90 miles an hour. Yeah. Which is insane. Like whenever he does feel it, like I think flies. Yeah, it's pretty crazy how they like measure gun clock of like they hit the forehand is like 90s. I remember I went to Indian Wells recently and they have like a place where you can, I think it was like the place where you can go and test your serve, how fast it is. And I served like 60 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. They're hitting, both, they're hitting forehead 90 yeah. miles an hour. It's insane. That's unbelievable. I mean, it's an interesting choice because obviously like it's, it's, it's also like very different from like how I play as well. Like I, I play with a lot of spin as opposed to like, I feel like center, he just, he kind of like plays more flat, but I, I mean, if I had to choose like his, his forehand is pretty great. Glad you didn't pick Alcaraz because I feel like as of this point in time, everybody would pick Alcaraz to have that forehand. You know, one final note on my end is please, please, anyone out there, which doctor, Carlos Alcaraz, Sinner, Juan Carlos, Juan Carlos Ferrero, Roger Federer, yeah, or what do you what do you do right now? No, what do you do right now? Yes, or even you know tennis, Sandgren. Oh, tennis. Yeah, like help. <laughs> anyone <laughs> please help my friend <laughs> we get this one back yeah that's, that's, I don't want to close out with that
Yeah, so I mean, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, this is our first episode with um, a guest on, and uh, um, you know, I think uh, we'll have Chris back for sure. Absolutely, when he finds his forehand again, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have a follow up. We'll have a follow up for sure. <laughs> what maybe twenty years from now? Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe five years from now. What would all that old? So Chris. <laughs> We, <laughs> we have a lot. Uh, we have Chris back. We have more uh, guests on the show to tell their story, their background, and everything like that. But yeah, any last words, Chris, to people that are watching or and listening? Yeah, just thanks. Thanks for having me. I feel honored being the first guest on this podcast. And yeah, like like Tree mentioned, if anyone is out there willing to lend a helping hand. <laughs> to a struggling tennis player in need. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So I, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, um, and I hope that you guys also have a wonderful week up ahead. This has been the fifth episode of the Tennis Fans Podcast. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you. <laughs>